Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka. Good morning, Harvest Prairie Sound. It's a great joy and privilege for me to be with you here this morning. I'm used to being in Prairie Sound, um, but it's a great joy and a privilege to be here in Muskoka. I can't say the drive over was a great joy and a privilege. <clears throat> you guys love to eat up your ice and snow here, but um, joyful to be here. And I, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles? We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, if you forgot to bring your Bible this morning, that's okay. Just throw your hand up in the air. We have ushers here that would love to get excuse me, a copy of God's Word into your hands. And when you do that, uh, like I said, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Title of the message this morning is this, uh, Single or Married, My Heart is with Christ. So we've been going through this My Crazy Family series, if you're visiting with us, and we've been looking at what it looks like to be a parent, what it looks like to be uh, a child in a family, what it looks like to do family together. But this morning, we want to spend some time really getting into and looking at what does it look like to be single? Where does God call us to have our hearts when we're single? But not only um, where he calls us to have our hearts when we're single, but also where does he call us to have our hearts remain when we're married? So if you're married here this morning, don't check out on me. You're still, um, there's going to be lots in here for you this morning as well. So as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'll say this to you. Our society today seems to put so much emphasis on our status Okay, we've been talking about Facebook, Twitter, all these ways to be connected. If you register for a Facebook page, if you open up a Twitter account, if you go into a bank and start filling out some uh, banking information, if you go to our friendship registers and, and fill those out, you're going to get asked, what's your status, right? And Facebook has so many statuses. There's single, seeing someone, dating, engaged, married. And Facebook loves it so much that it actually gives you a notification when someone's status changes. Rob's status went from single to seeing someone. Rob's status went from seeing someone to being in a relationship. Apparently, there's a difference there. And if I'm Rob's friend, I'm supposed to like that, or I can even, I can even react to it, and I can love it now. There's this little heart icon, right? Guys, if you are on Facebook, it's okay to love stuff if you're secure like that, okay? And then about a year from then, I'm expecting that to go one of two ways. I'm going to log on. I'm going to see Rob went from being in a relationship to being engaged, or Rob went from being in a relationship to it's complicated, right? We've seen that before too. But perhaps the status that seems to matter most of all, perhaps to us and, and to the world around us, is the status of single. What does it look like to be single? And there's two general perceptions to being single. I'm painting some broad strokes here to start off with. The world says there's two general perceptions to being single, and one is that being single is a negative thing. Being single must mean that you're undesirable in some sort of way. Nobody must want you. You, know, you don't fit in, so, so you need to look better, be more interesting, find some better hobbies. You, hadn't, you must be too shy. You need help putting yourself out there. You need to go out with some more friends. You need to sign up on a website so you can meet new people. I don't know if TV at home, but I seen when I was prepping for this sermon, one of my friends on Facebook put up this little snippet off the Jimmy Fallon show, and he asked people to send in reasons why they're single. So we called it hashtag why I'm single. And it's funny that people think they're single because they're odd. So just a couple that, that stuck out to me was this, hashtag why I'm single, because when I go to the grocery store, I open up the automatic sliding doors like I'm a Jedi. Okay, that's a little, that's a little weird. I'll give you that one. Another one was, hashtag why I'm single, because I'm a health inspector and can't help pointing out the health code violations in restaurants on dates. <laughs> the other perception, though, is that <clears throat> being single is good. You get to do whatever you want. You get to spend all your time on you. You get to, whatever money you earn, you get to spend it on yourself. And that's a good thing. And, and make that choice. That's good. I'm making that choice that I don't have to commit to somebody. I can make my life all about me. I get to choose what I do, who I sleep with, who I go on dates with. In fact, I'll call you. You know what? If you get a second date with me, you'd be so lucky. 
And you know what? Those are, the, those are the wide ends of the spectrum. But wherever you are in that, so maybe you're somewhere in the middle, here's the thing. We end up living our lives encapsulated and defined by either the existence of a relationship with someone or the absence of a relationship with someone. Our life so quickly becomes determined and influenced outside of what we were first and foremost created for, and that's for a relationship with God. As Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians, so like I said, we're going to be in chapter 7 this morning, but I actually, keep your thumb in there, but I actually want you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning, because Paul is writing this uh, letter to the church in Corinth, and, and he's setting some premise here. Before, he says, before we get into dating and relationships and marriage and kids and all of these things that that God has to speak to. He says, here's something first and foremost that, that you need to get right, that you need to know. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, he says this, for the word of the cross is folly. What does that mean? It means foolish, worthless, and valuable. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul begins with this verse because he's making a point. He's saying, the most important thing in your life is the gospel. We must know what the cross means for us. That's why, flick over to chapter two, verse two. He says, why did I come and proclaim Jesus? Why did I tell Jesus uh, to you? He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What does that mean? Paul's saying, we need to realize the gospel first and foremost. You need to realize where your relationship should be at with God. And the gospel is this, that we were created by God to be in a relationship with him. But Lee took us here at the very start of this series, and you can see in the Garden of Eden that sin entered the world. Sin entered our lives by us saying, no thanks, God. We're, we're going to pursue ourselves. We're going to do our own thing. We know what you've made for us. You know, we know how you've created us, but, but we want to live for ourselves. And that sin, it broke our relationship with God. It separates us from God. How could a holy, pure, just, loving God accept us in the broken, sinful state that we're in? Think about it this way. If heaven is a perfect place, how could we, broken, messed up, sinful people, be able to walk in there? We would make it imperfect. But here's the beautiful thing. Here's the message of the gospel. Here's the good news that God didn't turn his back on us. God didn't say, okay, that, that plan didn't work out. He, he stepped out of heaven and came to earth as Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was the son of God, that in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus came to take the weight and sin of our sin upon himself. He lived a perfect life and willingly gave up himself for us. He took the punishment for our sins so that when God now looks on us, he doesn't see us as a debt still to be paid, a sin that still separates. He sees a price paid, a child redeemed, a relationship restored through his son, Jesus. The loving, perfect, holy, just, pure, majestic God would again be able to embrace us as his own. That's the saving, redeeming, life-giving truth and power of the gospel this morning. 1 John 1 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God sees us like this this morning if we accept Jesus as our Lord. That's what the cross means for us. That's where, that's where he opens up. That's where he makes that distinguishing comment at the start there. So what happens when, when we do know the power of the cross? What happens when we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior? We desire, who do we desire to know most about? We desire to know most about him, most about Jesus, most, most about Christ. We long to invest our lives to him, to God, to Christ. Not what the world tells us, not what other people think are wise, not what other people tell us. No, we, we press into God. 
And that's why in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, he proclaimed Christ to them so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So as we come to this this morning and we, we get so caught up in our status, Paul just completely blows that out of the water from right off the bat and says this, there's only one status that matters. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You either know the power of the cross or you don't. And every other relationship status compared to this is secondary. In fact, it's kind of irrelevant. So as we, as we jump into chapter 7 now, that's, that's the premise that we need to understand. That's where Paul is coming from. He says, you need to know Jesus first before you get into all of these other things. But I'm, I'm thankful to God that he gives us instruction on how to live our lives, how to do all of these things too. So we're going to jump in at verse 26 this morning, and this is where he's writing to the unmarried, to the widow, to the single people um, of the church. And he says this. We're going to take this a, a few verses at a time. Verse 26, he says, I think that in the view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first point is this. First, seek Jesus, not a spouse. He opens up and he says, in the view of present distress, commentators say it's not a, he's, they're not exactly sure what the distress was here, whether it was political unrest or social change or economic pressure, but it was clear that there was some sort of pressure, some sort of distress on Christians that were trying to actively live their life out for Christ at this time. And I think that we can all relate to some degree to that as Christians here this morning, as Christ followers this morning. There's pressure from our society for us to conform on how we share our faith or should we share our faith. We're pressured to embrace the views of the world that are completely contradictory to God's word. Pressure for what we watch, even for parents, for, for how we teach our kids or what we allow our kids to be taught. How and when we should start dating. How and, how and when we should handle sex and in what context. There's so many pressures coming in on us in this world that so many things to take your eyes off Christ. Paul says this, it's actually going to be difficult. Perhaps it's going to be more difficult for you to keep your eyes on Christ if you're in a relationship, if you have kids, if you have a family, if you have all these things too. So this morning, I want to ask you this. Have you ever considered that being married, actually having a partner could, permit, could make pursuing Christ, could make keeping your eyes on Christ actually more difficult for you? So often we think of it as the other way around. So with this in mind, he says, maybe it's not a bad thing for you to remain as you are. Maybe you should keep your goal on setting your heart on Christ first and foremost and see where that goes, see where that leads to. Don't make your goal your partner, your marriage, your family. Make your goal Christ first and foremost. Here's what he says. He said, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. It's interesting that when I was reading this, I think Paul, Paul gives us advice on both sides of that. He says, if you're married, don't seek, to, don't seek to be single again. Whatever that is that you're conjuring up in your mind, if it was more time or less responsibility or whatever that is, he's like, don't, don't seek after that. He's saying, if you're single, don't, don't seek after a marriage. Don't seek after a relationship. Don't, don't seek those things. Don't seek a marriage to make your life better, happier, more fulfilling. Seek Christ. Don't seek singleness less difficulty, less stress, whatever it is to make your life more meaningful, seek Christ. He's saying here that whichever, whichever side of that equation you're searching on, if that's where you're searching for your self-worth, you're going to come up empty. Because as Kai said a couple of weeks ago, that nobody 
else can bear the weight of your soul. Your partner wasn't made to bear the weight of your soul. Your partner wasn't made to complete you in every way possible. Single person is your ultimate goal to have Christ as your greatest relationship. Is the goal of your life to be on mission with Christ? Do you look for a spouse in the context of someone who is going to pursue Jesus with you? Because here's the thing, if you spend all your time longing for a relationship with a person, if you find yourself constantly pining over that relationship, the the relationship that could be devoting more of your thought time, more of your desire, attention to that than God, even more of your prayer life to that, what do you think is going to happen if you get into that relationship? That relationship is going to be your God. That person is going to be your God. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your husband or wife, you're, you're making them your God and they can't bear the weight of your soul. They're inadequate, sinful, broken people too. And guess what? Maybe a month in, maybe it's six months in, maybe it's a couple of years in, but the wheels are going to come off. You're going to be disappointed and you're going to realize that's not what ultimately satisfies you. I'll say this, that the longing for a relationship is not a bad thing by any means. We've learned that in this series that, that God created Adam and he said, it's not good for him to be alone. So it's not a bad thing to have a longing for, to have a wanting for a relationship if you're single here this morning, but keep it in context of your relationship with Christ is so much more important. Paul speaks to this, he says, when he's talking about seeking, if you're, if you're single, don't seek marriage. If you're, if you're married, don't seek singleness. The terminology seeking here that he's using, that word seek is the same as is used for seeking the Lord. Isaiah 55, 6 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jeremiah 20, 29, 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, says the Lord. Matthew 6, 33, words of Jesus, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, when he's using this word seeking, he's saying, don't, don't fall into that trap of making that your ultimate goal all of your longing, all of your pining, all of your energy searching for that. Don't set your heart on a relationship this morning. Don't let that define you. Don't let that be the influencer of whether you're close to God or not or whether you're going to pursue Christ. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're like, okay, I get that. That's, uh, I'm, not, I'm not wanting a, a person to make the ultimate, my, my God and the center of my universe. You know what? I, I, but I would love somebody to just do life together with. I'd love to be able to go into a restaurant and order the dinner for two option for once. Guys here, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, what's he talking about? I always order the dinner for two option. Can I get the dinner for two option on one plate? Can you, can you cram it in there? Money well saved, right? I've done it. <laughs> but maybe you're a guy or a girl and you're thinking, you know what? If I had a wife, then I would really settle down. I'd, I'd change my lifestyle. I would lead her in the word and, and he'd lead me in the word. And, you know, we'd be able to love and satisfy each other physically, emotionally, sexually, all of these things. And, I wouldn't have to struggle with that sin anymore. Life would be easier. Dude, it's okay for you. You're married up here and you're talking about singleness. You, you have it way easier than, than us who are single. Perhaps you're even seeking God with this and you pray about it all the time. I would say this to you, that having a relationship with God does not get easier when you have somebody else in your life. We gotta come back to some of these verses, but look at verse 32. Jump down to verse 32 and he says this. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. 
And the unmarried, same with the same for a woman. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. It's not going to get easier with somebody else in your life. So here's the thing, though. Lots of us do get married, and I believe that lots of us will get married. So maybe you read that this morning and you say, well, how do, how do I avoid that? How do I avoid my interest being divided? I would say this to you. Look for a spouse who is also searching to please the Lord. So as you pour into him or her, you're also increasing, you're supporting their capacity to continue pleasing the Lord, continuing being on mission, continuing to let others see God at work in your life and in their life. When done right in the context, we learned that marriage is this beautiful picture of how as two people in Christ's church, we're striving to one day become married to, to Jesus Christ. So here's the thing, those thoughts that I described earlier, if I had a partner, then I would start doing this. If I, if I had this person in my life, then I'd really get going with God. Then things would be better. I would say this to you this morning. If you find yourself in that situation, if you find yourself thinking like that, I would say be careful. Be very, very careful. This is how Satan sows a seed of lies into your life because this is the beginning of thinking that God is stingy. God's holding out on me. He's too strict. He's, he's irrational. God's unreasonable. He's forgotten about me. He doesn't have my best interests at heart. I, I log on to Facebook and I see all these other people in marriage and sharing life together and they seem to be so much happier and God hasn't blessed me like that. If you're taking notes, I would say this. There's a sub-point here this morning is don't believe Satan's lie. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, which is where we started our series and you can see here in Genesis 2 and 3 where this is the very first ploy that Satan uses on Eve to, to break her relationship with God, to woo her away from God. You can see in chapter 2, verse 16, this is when that perfect relationship is still there, when God's created Adam and Eve, and he says this, the Lord commanded uh, the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, that was God's instruction to them. That's where Lee started off this series by saying, you know what, he, he blessed them with the Garden of Eden. He, had, he was there, he was walking with them. They had that perfect relationship. And he was like, you guys got everything you need. Just go and enjoy it. Enjoy life. This is good. But he said, here's one thing that's not good. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. It's not gonna be good for you. And then we see in chapter three, Satan comes along, the devil comes along. And, and what does he do with Eve? Chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty. How many people know the devil's crafty? The Bible tells us that he's a deceiver. He's an accuser. He's a manipulator. He comes along and he says to the woman in verse 2, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Let me read that again and let me, let me read it how I picture him saying this to Eve. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually call you to live like this? He tries to make God out as being unreasonable, unloving, stingy. Has God really called you to live single just because you haven't found a partner who loves Jesus yet? Just because you're, you're trying to pursue him first? Did God really call you to? Man, that seems, that seems weird. That, that doesn't seem like God loves you. That's what Satan's doing with Eve here. That Maybe that's what the devil tries to attack you with this morning. And this is why I say be careful. Look at, look at Eve's response to, to the devil. She corrects him to some degree. In verse 2, she says, The woman said to him, 
we made of the fruit of the trees in the garden. So she corrects him. She said, no, 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 we, we made of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Whoa, 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 hold up. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God didn't say that. God didn't say that to Eve. Eve's added that in. God didn't tell her that she couldn't touch it, but, but she says this to the serpent. You know what? When I read that, I, it's almost like you can feel, you can see the, the bit of resentment in Eve's heart that's taking place there. You ever, you ever had a kid and, and you maybe give them something like every day? Every day they get like a candy after their lunch or something like that. And, and the one day you take it away from them and you're like, you know what? You're not having that. You're not having that today. It's not good for you. What's the response? You never give me what I want, right? You always do this. It's like, no, I did it once. But there's that resentment. It's like, no, I want to do this, and you're not giving me that. How many of us are like that this morning? You can see that root took, took place in her heart and what it led to. It broke her relationship with God. She thought that God was being unreasonable. How many of us that are married, maybe we do that. Well, if my husband wasn't so unorganized, if he was more loving, if he didn't get agitated so fast, or if my wife wasn't nagging me about doing this and doing that and keeping the house tidy and being on time for stuff, these are all just theoretical. There's no personal examples in here. <laughs> How many of us that are married say, God, it's the person you've given me. How many of us do what Adam did? He blames Eve. God, it's the person that you gave me. This is, why, this is why I'm living like this. This is why I'm struggling with this. It's my wife, she's messed up, man. Or it's, it's my husband, you don't realize how, how crazy he is. How many of us that are single, though, do the exact same thing, just in a very slightly different context? It's the person you haven't given me, God. That's why I'm struggling with my self-identity and my self-worth, and this is why I struggle with, with this sexual sin and what I watch and what I do and all of these things. It's because I haven't, you haven't given me someone. If you gave me somebody, then I'd be good. Here's the truth this morning. Your relationship with God is through Christ and Christ only. There's only two people in that relationship. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Your spouse can't save you. Your spouse can't bring you inner peace. Your spouse can't reconcile you to God. Only Jesus can. Guess what? God gave us Jesus. God's not stingy. God has poured out on us amazing blessings to us, whether we're married or whether we're single. Bible tells us greater love has no man than this than to lay his life down for his friends. But yet, how quick are we to say, well, God hasn't given me what I wanted or what I think I need, so I'm, I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to date whoever I want. I'm going to live however I want to do because God's holding out on me. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you know what? You, you get that too and you're like, you know what? Well, I still have a desire. God, for you, like, I just, I want to have kids. Like, what a beautiful thing we just seen up here this morning with, with child dedication. Like, I, God, for you, I want that. I have a deep longing in my heart for kids. I'm not just obsessing over having someone love me. I'm not just wanting to cash in my dinner for two tickets. Um, I, don't, I don't just want to feel awkward about going to the movies on Valentine's Day by myself. I, I, want, to, I want to have kids. I want to have a family. You might say, well, look, look even in the Bible, and God... It's God blesses people with offspring. He takes out Abraham and he shows him the stars and he says, so shall your offspring be. 
He says the same to Isaac. He says, I will be with you and bless you for to you and your offspring, I will give all these lands. God, I want kids. I, I, that's, that's a blessing from God. I think that you would struggle to find any parent in this room if you asked them what their greatest blessing was that they wouldn't say their kids. If that's you this morning, I want you to turn to Isaiah 56, verse 3, and let's hear what God says about that. Isaiah 56, verse 3 says this, And let not the eunuch say, okay, we're keeping it a PG service, so we're going to say the eunuch is just somebody who can't have kids, okay? But in all seriousness, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about singleness for those of us who don't have kids. It says this, Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs, to the single people, to the people who don't have kids, who don't have a family, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, who pursue Christ, and hold fast my covenant. How's our covenant made? Our covenant's made through the blood of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, to those of us who choose, choose Jesus, who follow Jesus, look at this promise. Verse five, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better Better, underline that word, better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. God promises us to those who have, uh, God promises to those of us who don't have kids, who won't have kids, greater eternal blessings that are better than sons and daughters. Wow. You might say, well, yeah, but that's, that's not in this lifetime, that, that's not in this world. I want to be happy now. Well, Jesus tells us that his kingdom is not of this world. Perhaps being single is the very thing that God wants to use to deepen your relationship with him. So a question for you this morning is, is this, am I living for myself today? Or do I really believe in eternity and heaven? Am I living for Jesus? Am I holding fast to the promises of God? So our second point this morning is this, live for Jesus not a spouse. Perhaps being single is the best way you can live for Jesus at this moment in your life, perhaps being married is. Look at verse 29, back to our passage here. Verse 29, he says this. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. So he's saying, this is what I mean when I'm saying, don't just pursue singleness or don't just pursue marriage. This is what I mean, brothers. The the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Our mission here on earth is to what? To glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. If that sounds familiar to you, it's, in the, it's on the front of our bulletins that we hand out every single Sunday. That's our mission as a church. That's our mission as people, as individuals in the church. Paul's talking here about an appointed time, and that time is our time here on earth. And our time we've been commissioned to do something. What have we been commissioned to do? To, to go out into all the world and, and marry whenever we can and build houses and have families and feel loved and accepted and be happy until he returns, Right? No, that's what the world tells us. Just do whatever you got to do. Do whatever you got to do to be happy. It's all right. Live whatever way you want to live. Doesn't matter how you live or, or who you live with as long as you're happy. No, no, no. That what I, our calling is that whatever life circumstance we're in, 
We're going to strive to be a testimony for the love of Jesus. So I would say to this, I would say this to you for the single person here, live, live today for Jesus. Live in the now for Jesus. Marriage isn't the door we wait for in our lives, for, for our lives to start, for our lives to take off, for us to really get into mission and get grounded and for God to use us. Don't wait on marriage for that to happen. Family, partners, relationships are terrific, amazing blessings from God. But Paul's saying, don't let the things of this life trump and supersede what's of greater significance. Eternity, Christ, a relationship with the Father. Having a relationship that is so real, is so true, is so close that we can't bear to huddle up and keep it to ourselves. You have to go out and share it and tell others. Count everything else is secondary to that. This is what Paul means here when he says, let those, uh, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Married people, he's not saying neglect your wife, neglect your husband. Don't worry about your kids. Hey, sweetheart, you're going to have to you know, shovel the driveway from now on because I'm going to be doing a Bible study in the morning. See how that one goes over. <laughs> I find Jesus now, so I know that we usually have a date night on Friday and we do stuff with our kids, but I'm going to be going off doing mission by myself because I find Jesus. No, he's not saying neglect your, your family, neglect your partner. He's saying do mission with your family. Maybe your, your first and foremost mission field right now is your family, is your kids, is your household. That's what he's saying here. For those of us who deal with the world as though uh, they had no dealings for it, for the present form of this world is passing away. So for the married or the single person, it means, it means this. It, for the single person, it means press your emotions to the Lord. God wants to use you as you are. Don't get so focused on earthly stuff. The Bible tells us that we're like a vapor in the wind. We're a blink of an eye here. And maybe you think that sounds unreasonable or too harsh. Well, Look at it this way. Think, here's, here's what Jesus said about marriage. And marriage is so, is so important. Like we said, marriage here on this earth even reflects how Jesus, the relationship between Jesus and us, his church. So I'm not downplaying marriage by any means, but again, looking at it in this perspective. There's a part in Mark's gospel where the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're around Jesus and, and they're trying to trip him up. And they're like, hey, Jesus, you know what? We just, we've been thinking about this, this scenario that's come up. There's this, so there's this woman, and, and she married this guy, but, but he died, and then the next in line, he came, and, and he married her, but then, but then that guy died, and, and then um, there's another guy came along, and, and he married her, and, and that guy died, and, and let's just keep it reasonable, okay? We've just been thinking this one over. Let's, let's say that happens, you know, seven times. That's, that's kind of what usually happens, right? And they're like, well, who's, who's going to be her husband when she gets to heaven? She's married seven times. Who's going to be her husband? Jesus says this. You can read it in Mark 12 yourself. Mark 12, 25, he says this. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Even marriage is temporary, like everything in this world. Amelia and I, we won't be married in heaven. So my question is this, what do you set your hope on this morning? What do you set your heart on this morning? Because God doesn't promise us marriage. He doesn't promise us a boyfriend or a girlfriend. He doesn't promise us that our spouse will even be with us for our whole life. Are we setting our hope for joy, love, peace? 
on someone else. Hebrews 11, one says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So here's a challenge for you this morning. If you're following Jesus, if your eyes are fixed on him, can you say this? Can you say that a relationship, a spouse, my sexuality, how I live, it's not a matter of identity for me? that my primary sense of worth and fulfillment is not contingent on being romantically or sexually fulfilled. And that's actually liberating. Think about it. Jesus was the most fully human and complete person who ever lived. Bible tells us that in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God as a man, he was the, the perfect person here on earth. But Jesus was never married, never in a romantic relationship, never had sex, never had kids, Satan loves to try to attack that truth. And here's the thing, because if we say that we need these things, not just that we want them, but we need these things, that they're fundamental to us, then we're really saying that Jesus was subhuman. We're really denying the essence that God has created us first and foremost to be in a relationship with him. Jesus was perfect. There was no sin in Jesus' life, no sanctification still going on, no lessons that he was learning to try and figure out his walk with God. He was God as a man here on earth. And why do I say that? I I say that because I think that too often we look at singleness as this time of sanctification that gets us ready for marriage. We look at a single person and we say, oh, well, God must be teaching them some stuff before they get married. That's why they're still single. I must have learned it faster than they did because, you know, I got married when I was 25, but this person's 30 and there must be something that that God's still teaching them in that point. If you haven't found someone yet, it's because God still has work to do on you. We look on singleness as this affliction instead of a gift. When we're following Jesus, we're all being sanctified, married or unmarried. God is working on us, but Being single is no reflection of your spiritual status or your walk with Jesus. Look at Paul, he's writing the letter, he's single. God calls each of us to have a life submitted to Christ, but that life of submission may look a little different for different people. We may have different life circumstances as we do that. So here's the thing, there's a third point this morning that we're, this is our last point. I would say this, if you're single here this morning, perhaps you're widowed, perhaps you're separated, I would say this, be devoted to God's calling. Look at verse 35, what Paul says here. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul outlines that there's beautiful gifts and advantages to to being single. Here's a few things, okay, and, I, and I, I tread lightly and carefully as I say this. I was single for a time myself, so I'm not um, stereotyping or, or labeling everybody with the same brush here, but here's, here's a few things I'd say that are easier for you to do when you're single, and it's a gift. I would say you have more time to invest and pour into friendships and relationships that you, other just, you otherwise just can't do when you're married. When you get married, you realize, I don't have time for all of these things. Perhaps when you're single, it can be easier to go on mission. 
I remember one of my friends back home, he was a doctor and it was years ago, but when that tsunami hit, he was just like gone in two days, three days, didn't even say bye to me. I was just like, where, where's Stephen going? It's like, oh, he's, he's gone. He like, he felt called. He just, he's up and left. He's over there helping people. He's on mission. He's, he's sharing Jesus with people and he didn't have kids or a wife or a home and all of these things to tie up. He was just ready to go. That's a blessing. I would say this, you have time to be in his word and grow in him. This idea of being married or single, it's not, it's not a command from God. God doesn't command us to be married or command us to be single. You can see that in verse 25. That's how he opens. He says, I have no command from the Lord on this. So maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, okay, so God calls some of us to be single, but it's obviously not me because I have a deep desire not to be single. It seems too hard for me. I'm, I'm lonely. I need a partner. I, I struggle with things. And I can say this, that being single is hard. And Paul, Paul tells us it's, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So, so I, I must need a partner. Like, what, what do I do? What do I do in this season of singleness? Well, here's just a couple of things I would say to you. I would say one is this, press into the family of God. You have a family here for this season of your life. And before I speak to the, those who are single, I would say to us as a church this, as a church, we can fall into this trap of seeing single, single people as serving material. They've got all the time, right? They don't have the responsibilities of, of kids and everything like this. And you know what? All the single people, they, they should just be all the people that run Harvest Kids and do all of these things and go out on mission and, and love our community because I've got a family. I would say this, we're called to serve Christ together. That's not a fair or a right perspective to look at, our, at the singles in our church as. We don't get to say, well, I, I have a family, so I get to check out of my responsibilities of the church body. Let's get the single people to carry the load. The eyes need the hands, the hands need the feet. We all need each other as the body of Christ. So married people, I'd say this to us this morning. What are you doing to support our singles in this church? Are we inviting them over for dinner? Are we connecting with them? Are we seeking to walk with them? Not even purely in a discipleship role because I think they have so much to teach us. Being single is difficult. It's hard to feel where you belong sometimes. It's hard to feel who to connect with. But I would say this to you, if you are, if you are single, be intentional with the people of God. Press in on the family of God. You need this family at this time in your life. God calls us to community because, yes, I, our most important relationship is him, but he knows it's not good for us to be alone. And that's why he's given us this church, a community of believers to do life together with, to share in each other's burdens, to walk in times of hardship, of trial, of struggle. I would say that some people are called to be single, but I don't think many of us are. Look at verse 37. He says, this, this, this is the calling for people to be single, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her and his betrothed, as his betrothed, he's saying not to marry, saying he will do well. That's a great encouragement right there. If you're, if you're a single person, if you feel like that you can be single, if you feel like God is calling you to be single, it's saying that you will do well, that God is gonna equip you. 
in a powerful way, in a way that he doesn't equip many other people to be on mission for him, to live for him. So be encouraged with that. But I think that for a lot of us, it's very hard, especially in this day and age, to keep our desire under control, to keep our hearts fixed on Jesus. So again, for us who are single, I would say this, be, make sure you get things from this church and be a consumer in terms of friends, connections, discipling, teaching, meeting people, join a small group, but also be a giver. Serve in ministry, help in areas that it's hard for others to help in. Walk together in this. Another thing I'd say to you if you're single here this morning is this, use your longings and desires to please Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, God, for you, you, you spoke about it earlier, I, I really wanna be a mom. Maybe, maybe you've had kids and, and they're all grown up and they've left the house and you're like, but I just really still, I, like, I love being a mom. I still just want to be a mom. Well, I would say this to you, that the apostle Paul here who wrote this letter, he was single in Christ and he, he said this to, of his converts. 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says this, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul was a great father figure to other believers, but he wasn't married. And let him speak for, for the ladies, for the women here who, who were in that same situation. He says this in 1 Thessalonians. He says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. What a beautiful thing it would be this morning if we could say that about some of the people here this morning, some of the singles in our church, that they were a beautiful mother figure, that they were a beautiful father figure to people in our church here. Press into the body of God. And lastly, I'd say this, don't waste your gift. Don't waste your gift. So if you're single, your life call isn't, I'm single. Get to do whatever I want. I've got four hours every day to, to play computer games or hang out with people or do all of these things. I've got all this time, don't waste it. I can still be doing that when I'm 30, 35. No, take up your cause for Christ with all the time you have. This means growing up and being a dad when you're still single and you're 25. When you're single and you're 30, grow up and be a mom, press into people, walk with other people, invest into other people and show them the love of Christ. Like I said, if you're widowed or you're separated or you're single, verse 37 speaks to you. God is equipping you for great things, for great ministry, so be encouraged in that. Verse 38 says, so then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Here's the thing that the worldview says what? That's a waste. Just go and enjoy yourself. Live for you. Don't worry about other people. Single, worldly people can be the most selfish, self-consumed people because their life is all about them. So what do you do? What do you do if you're single and you're, you're here in this and you're not sure if it's going to be for a season or for a longer time? I would say live as you are called. You're, lived, you're called to live for Christ. Verse 17 speaks about that in this passage. Live as you are called. He says this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him. You ever been given an assignment? 
The biggest assignment I ever had to do was my final thesis for university. It was a sucker that was like this thick. Okay, it was like 25,000 words minimum. I got a whole year to research it and spend time and typing it up and doing all of these things, and I had to like plant a couple of trees at the end of it to offset the amount of paper I went through. But with that assignment, there was, I had a whole year to do it. There was times when I liked doing it. I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I felt like I wanted to do this assignment. I was in for it, and, and this is what I'm doing, and I like it, and I get to manage my own time, and this is what I'm pursuing right now. There's times when I like doing it. You know what? There was other times, though, when I was like, this is brutal. I really don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm looking at the little word count every time, being like, I'm only at 10,000 words. I'm only at 12,000 words. Like, what do I do? I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. It seems too difficult. I feel like I've learned enough. I feel like I've studied enough. Can I just be, can I be done with this season in my life now? But here's the thing. I didn't get to decide when that assignment was over. I didn't get to make that decision. It was my teacher who was over me that got to make that decision. It was that teacher that was over me that looked at my assignment and said, yep, okay, we're finished with that. What did the disciples so often call Jesus when he walked with them? Teacher. Teacher, what do we do? Teacher, what, what about this? Teacher, what, how should we live? Do you see Christ as your teacher this morning? We don't get to pick what God assigns us. We don't get to pick how long the assignment is. And if we have bitterness or resentment to being single and we haven't grasped what God has truly done for us, we're finishing up here this morning, but I say this to you, when you hand your assignment into the teacher, what are you going to give in? Here are all the friends I made. Here's all the trophies I won at sports. Here's the car and the house and the thing that I worked hard for for myself. Made it with all my own money. Here are all the ways I helped out even. Like I said, Amelia and I, even ourselves, we won't be married in heaven, and that's huge. So I would say this, you, you give your life, we give our lives to cultivating the one relationship that will last forever and be thankful, whatever that means, partnering with somebody or not. Verse 35, it says this, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. It's not a restraint for us, so as the worship team comes up this morning, as we, as we finish off here, my question to you is this, what have you set your heart on? I hope this morning you've heard that it's okay to have a longing for a partner. It's okay to have a longing for a relationship. It's okay to have a longing for a family. God has put those longings within us, but give it to God. May that longings, may those longings always be so far below our longing for him. God doesn't promise us a spouse, a marriage, a relationship, but he does promise us salvation, a meaning, a purpose, a family, through knowing his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to sing a song here this morning, and the song that we're going to sing is that it's called, I've Set My Heart on You. Would we sing this song this morning as we come to sing? If you want to pray through some stuff, we're going to have small group leaders and people up here that would love to pray with you. If you want somebody to pray with, come forward and, and pray with them. If you want to just sit where you are and, and pray through some of these things, if you want to stand and sing this, 
as a love song to Jesus to realign your heart with him, to proclaim to him that you set your heart on him above all else, then let's do that this morning. Perhaps you need to repent of some things. Perhaps you're even married here this morning and you've realized you've had a bad attitude towards your marriage that you've been seeking to be free from it. Use this time to pray and bring these things to the Lord this morning for he is good. He is beautiful and he's above all things. So let's do that this morning. Let's sing.